Well, hello, and welcome to the Jazz Focus, a jazz podcast that is dedicated to exploring some of the lesser-known corners of jazz recording history. And today, we're going to be talking about the music of a particular band, the band that was led by saxophonist Teddy Hill. My name is John Clark, and happy you're back with us, or with us for the first time, as the case may be. Hope uh, these podcasts are interesting you enough that you do keep returning and taking a look at some of the various things we have going on here. Um, Our podcast uh, channel, which uh, begins on Anchor.fm, but is carried on Spotify and many other uh, platforms as well, uh, includes podcasts that I'm making specifically for this channel and also radio shows I have recorded for WETF in South Bend, Indiana and uh, upload as, as time goes on and they stop using them. So hope you're enjoying those as well. So a little bit about Teddy Hill. Teddy Hill was a saxophone player who was born in 1909 in Birmingham, Alabama, and he became a musician out of high school and uh, uh, played a lot of things, apparently drums and trumpet and different instruments, before settling on saxophone primarily. He toured with some black vaudeville acts, including the Whitman Sisters, and uh, recorded a little bit in the 1920s before he made it to New York in about 1928 or so. He started playing with a band that was led by a drummer named George Howell. Uh, And this was a a group that played uh, at the Nest Club. It was not a terribly well-known band. I don't believe it ever recorded. Uh, And there was some internal dissension in the band, and somehow they got rid of George Howe, and they made the pianist Louis Russell the leader. And this was the band that became Louis Russell and his orchestra, which made a whole series of big band recordings in the late 1920s, uh, starting about 1927 or so. Louis Russell was a, a, a Panamanian. He was a piano player who had won a lottery in Panama, which enabled him to travel to New Orleans, where he was playing in some New Orleans bands in the early 1920s, including ones that uh, included some of his future bandmen like Barney Begard and Albert Nicholas and Paul Barberin. And so he made their acquaintance and ultimately moved up to Chicago uh, to play with a couple of groups up there. Um, most of his musicians had already made it to Chicago. Begard and Barberin and Albert Nicholas were all playing with King Oliver's band, and Louis Russell played with them for a little while before he left for New York in about 1920. And uh, he was playing with uh, groups that he was leading and ended up, as I said, playing with George Howe and ultimately taking over the band. He expanded the band to uh, current proportions in 1928-1929, which was at least two trumpet players, one of whom was uh, Red Allen, after a while, great New Orleans player, J.C. Higginbottom on trombone, three reeds that included Albert Nicholas, also uh, Charlie Holmes, the great uh, Boston alto player, and Teddy Hill on tenor sax. And in the rhythm section, you had Will Johnson on guitar and banjo, Pops Foster on bass, and Paul Barbin on drums. But uh, this band uh, recorded fairly frequently, and Teddy Hill played some solos, but he was generally outshone in the, in the saxophone section by Holmes and Nicholas. He played an effective tenor sax style in this period style of the day, but he wasn't known as a great soloist. He, he was with that band for a while. He was replaced by Greeley Walton after a little while. And um, I think he came back uh, to the band after a couple of years. He recorded uh, not only with the Louis Russell band, but with a similar uh, group or similar core of musicians recording under Red Allen's name, under King Oliver's name, under Louis Armstrong's name. So he got around in those days. By about uh, 1932-33, he uh, got the band-leading bug himself, Teddy Hill did, and formed a band that started playing at some of the medium-sized, medium-popular uh, clubs in New York, like the Lafayette and uh, the Ubangi Club, and ultimately at the Savoy Ballroom as well. I'm going to skip over the uh, part of the story that we're going to be covering on this recording uh, session that we're going to be talking about. Uh, And after he decided to disband in about 1940, he took over management of a club called Mittens in Harlem. And uh, this was a club that became uh, a hotbed for experimentation in music. A lot of the bebop musicians in the mid-40s started gravitating towards Mittens. They weren't necessarily paid to play there, but they would go sit in with the house rhythm section, which at times included uh, Clyde Hart, Bud Powell, Thelonious Monk, different people like that, and soloists like uh, 
Charlie Parker, I think it was Charlie, I think Charlie Parker sat in there a few times. He wasn't known for uh, going to Minton's, although Dizzy Gillespie certainly was, and some more uh, modern swing era players who were, were, were looking towards bebop as well would go and exchange ideas and start developing the type of music that we know as bebop. And so uh, Teddy Hill did not play in those groups, at least as far as we know. He actually just managed the club. He had left for a while to serve in the military during World War II, and when he came back, uh, he took over management again, and that's pretty much when those musicians started frequenting the club. Then after that, he left and uh, uh, became manager of the Baron Lounge, apparently, in New York, and uh, worked in and out of music until he passed away in 1978. So Teddy Hill was one of those musicians who was not known for any virtuosity or great contributions as a player, but as a band leader and certainly as a club owner, he had uh, great influence on the course of jazz. So this band that he led from about 1933 till about 1940 or so was never considered one of the top level uh, black bands in New York, but it was a very successful band in the sense that it worked regularly. It played, um, as I said, at the Lafayette and then at the uh, Savoy Ballroom for quite a while, and he undertook a, a, a trip to Europe where he played in London, Paris, and I think Dublin in 1937. A very long trip that yielded some recordings for the Sidemen that we have heard on uh, this podcast before. Dickie Wells was one of his uh, great soloists on trombone, and Dickie Wells, when he was over in Paris with the Hill Band, was given the opportunity to record and used a lot of his musicians. We'll talk about that a little bit later. So, uh, the initial version of the Hill Band that made recordings was, uh, or it started in February, February 23rd of 1936 for the Banner label. And the orchestra, as then constituted, was Bill Coleman, Bill Dillard, and Roy Eldridge on trumpet. We're going to hear some of the first Roy Eldridge trumpet solos on record that were released. There were a few that he made that were not released until the LP era, and he was uh, did a couple of short little bursts of trumpet work in a film, a Vitaphone film, around that time, or a little bit before that time, but these were his first commercial uh, recordings that were released. We have Dickie Wells on trombone. In the saxophone section, we have Russell Procope and Howard Johnson playing altos. Um, it's a little hard to disengage the solos. I think most of the alto solos, at least for the first few years of this band's existence, were by Howard Johnson, and the clarinet solos were by Russell Procope. Oh, I think Procope may have played lead alto. It's hard to tell. Chew Berry plays tenor sax and does the solos. Uh, Teddy Hill also plays tenor sax, and he plays a solo on one of the numbers we're not going to hear, which is a very straight ballad rendering. He was not really a jazz man. Sam Allen, who was a very fine stride pianist, uh, plays uh, through all of these sessions. John Smith on guitar, Richard Fulbright on bass, and Bill Beeson on drums. And there are some vocals in and out that uh, usually are done by Bill Dillard, who was known as a singer as much as a trumpet player, and later on in life went on to be a vocal coach for theatrical uh, productions. So we're going to hear two tunes from this first session. We're going to hear Looky, 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 Here Comes Cookie, a Mac Gordon tune, which doesn't sound like it has too much promise as a jazz vehicle, but indeed it does. And we're going to hear excellent solos by Eldridge and Berry, and uh, I'll tell you about the other solos as we go along. And then we're going to hear When the Robin Sings His Song Again by... Um, uh, J. Fred Coots and uh, Mitchell Parrish, a great songwriting team or a duo of songwriters. Uh, this was not one of their hits, but it uh, flows along rather nicely and has some very good solos as well. Then we're going to go to the second and third dates, which were a little bit later, April and May of 1936. Uh, April 1st of 1936 had a slightly different personnel, uh, although it was only, what, about six weeks after that first recording, we have Frankie Newton replacing Bill Coleman and Chad Collins replacing Roy Eldridge. And Newton takes most of the trumpet solos, so I think Chad Collins does at least a couple. Cecil Scott plays tenor and baritone sax and some clarinet as well, and he replaces Chew Berry. And from that date, we're going to hear the Uptown Rhapsody, which is a uh, composition by Hill and uh, Chew Berry and uh, Howard Johnson, the alto sax player. Then we're going to finish up that set with uh, the April 1st session, which has basically the same, or excuse me, the May 4th session of 1936, which has the same band, and uh, the tune we're going to hear is At the Rug Cutter's Ball, which was a combination of Russell Procope and Teddy Hill on the composer side of things. And both of those recording dates were done for Vocalion. So we're going to hear those four tunes right now. Looky, 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 here comes Cookie, When the Robin Sings His Song Again, The Uptown Rhapsody, and At the Rug Cutter's Ball. 
So there you have the Teddy Hill Band from 1936. So those first two sides were made on February 23rd of 1936 in New York City. That must have been at the very end of Eldridge and Chewberry's tenure with the band because six days later, February 29th, they were in Chicago, leap year actually, um, recording with the Gene Krupa band, uh, Gene Krupa's combo that featured Benny Goodman on clarinet, and we played those uh, tracks before as well. And one of the tunes that they recorded was something called Swing Is Here, uh, which is credited to Gene Krupa and Eldridge and Chewberry. And it's very similar in form and chords and in the, the riffs and the out choruses to the tune that we just finished that set with, the Rug Cutter's Ball, or At the Rug Cutter's Ball, which was recorded by Teddy Hill's band um, and is credit is given to Russell Procope and Teddy Hill. So clearly there was some uh, uh, chicanery going on there. Who knows who wrote that tune? That might have been an Eldridge and Berry tune that was uh, being played by the Hill Band and after they left it was just taken over by Procope and Hill. They are subtly different but um, they have a lot of similarities to them. Apparently uh, at that point at the end of February uh, Eldridge and Berry were summoned to Chicago to play at the Grand Terrace Ballroom with Fletcher Henderson's band, and they were there for a year or so. Eldridge lasted longer than Barry in that case, and uh, made quite a few interesting records and very good swing records, including the classic version of Christopher Columbus. So, now we're going to, uh, well, actually, let me tell you the other things that were going on here in that first set. We heard, looky, 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 here comes Cookie, and when the Robin sings his song again, or Teddy Hill and his orchestra, um, both of those featured the trumpet of Roy Eldridge. The second one was a little less characteristic than the first in terms of trumpet solo. It was a little more uh, laid back with a mute, uh, but still definitely had to have been Eldridge. I don't think it could have been Bill Coleman in that case. And then we heard Chew Berry on tenor sax on both of those, playing that classic bustling style of his. We also heard uh, Dickie Wells take short solos on both of those. Dickie Wells was probably Teddy Hill's uh, most significant soloist. He stayed with him the whole run of this band's recording uh, session. He's featured on, on, on most of the tunes that we're going to be listening to. We also heard on alto sax on When the Robin Sings a Song Again, I believe, uh, Howard Johnson, Howard Swan Johnson. He was from Boston. He was, I believe, a cousin of Johnny Hodges. He had played with a very full style, in the style of Johnny Hodges, although he could sound a little bit like Benny Carter, too. Russell Procrope, the other alto player, was much more along the lines of Benny Carter, so it's a little bit hard to say who was who, but I think uh, the articulation and the little more staccato attack was more along the lines of Howard Johnson, who later played with Dizzy Gillespie's big band in the mid-40s, the big bebop band that he had, and Howard Johnson was the lead alto player. We also heard uh, from Sam Allen on piano, and Sam Allen was really a remarkable musician. He's going to be featured on a couple of tunes coming up, and you'll hear his take on stride piano. So after that, we heard the Uptown Rhapsody, which apparently was done after, or must have been done after, uh, Eldridge and Barry left, and it features a tenor sax solo, and don't know who it was by. It could have been by Teddy Hill, although it was a little better than his usual uh, attempts at jazz. Cecil Scott replaced... Uh, Chewberry, although he may probably was not in the band until the next session that we just heard on May 4th. So I'm not entirely sure who that was. It didn't sound like Cecil Scott, who played a very distinctive uh, kind of busy tenor saxophone style and also played a lot of baritone sax in the ensembles, as we heard on the last two tune, or the last tune at the Rug Cutter's Ball, and we'll hear him on Barry as well. Uh, Frankie Newton replaced Eldridge, and Shad Collins replaced Bill Coleman in the trumpet section. I believe the trumpet solo on At the Rug Cutter's Ball and um, Uptown Rhapsody, although there really wasn't much of a trumpet solo there, but I believe they were both by Frank Newton, uh, Frankie Newton, rather. And we heard some clarinet on At the Rug Cutter's Ball, which definitely was Russell Procope. He wrote that song, or is given credit, so it makes sense that he would have played the clarinet solo, and Howard Johnson was not known as a clarinet player. Um, Cecil Scott was, but it didn't sound like him, so I believe it was Russell Procope. So those were our four tunes in our first set for the Teddy Hill Orchestra. We're going to play two more sides from that um, May 4th session I just mentioned for Vocalion. We're going to hear the Blue Rhythm Fantasy, uh, which was composed by Chappie Willett and Ted Hill. And uh, Chappie Willett played, uh, uh, composed some tunes and did some arrangements for the Jimmy Lunsford Band, but he also did some for the Mills Blue Rhythm Band. I believe this was one of them, the Blue Rhythm Fantasy. Following that, we're going to hear an arrangement for the big band of Passionette, which is a Willie the Lion Smith composition. And Sam Allen gets to be featured here doing a tribute to Willie the Lion Smith. 
After that, we're going to hear three tunes from uh, a session of March 26th, 1937. The band is now billed as Teddy Hill and his NBC Orchestra, presumably because he was broadcasting on NBC enough that that was his affiliation. Um, this was obviously a very well-rehearsed band because the standard in the industry was to record four tunes at a recording session, and that would take two hours or whatever, and that was usually the union rule for that. But the Hill Band, for the next three sessions, uh, which were the last three sessions that the band did, did six tunes in each one. And that's, uh, that's, that's a remarkably efficient uh, uh, productivity for a, a band of this era. So it shows that they were a regular band playing arrangements that must have been in their repertoire, so they could just knock them out one after the other. So we're going to hear three tunes from this uh, session, from March 26th of 1937. We're going to hear The Love Bug Will Bite You If You Don't Watch Out, a Pinky Tomlin tune, which was recorded by a number of uh, bands at the time. We're going to hear a little vocal trio, probably led by Teddy Hill and maybe including Bill Dillard. As I said, he was one of the primary vocalists in this band. Here, an interesting little arrangement for the vocal trio, which has a kind of a mazurka rhythm written into it in the second measure. A little bit different there. Um, we will also hear the Harlem Twister and Marie. The Harlem Twister, we don't know who wrote that. That's unattributed, but uh, an interesting jazz tune. And Marie, of course, the Irving Berlin tune, which was a big hit at the time for the Tommy Dorsey band. So this is the same Teddy Hill uh, personnel, pretty much, from the last session, with possibly one addition, although it's not listed in the Brian Russ discography or on this particular CD that I'm using for most of uh, our... our, our uh, tunes today. This is a HEP CD, CD 1033 from the HEP label, which uh, was a UK label. These were early on in the CD era. This was from 1992, as a matter of fact, and they put out quite a few interesting CDs of Harlem bands that uh, mostly is our, our, our only uh, knowledge of these bands, or our only CD reissue of some of these bands, including Teddy Hill. There's one tune we're going to hear a little bit later that's been reissued on a number of collections, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. So the band that we're hearing here, Bill Dillard, Shad Collins, and Frankie Newton on trumpet, Dickie Wells on trombone. I believe there's a second trombone on here because uh, he's shown in pictures of the band from the time, and it happens to be Wilbur de Paris of the de Paris Brothers. He doesn't solo, but he's probably playing in the section. Russell Procope and Howard Johnson playing alto sax, with Procope playing most of the clarinet solos. Teddy Hill playing tenor sax. Cecil Scott playing tenor and baritone sax. He's also playing some clarinet. I think it's he who is playing clarinet on The Love Bug Will Bite You. And then Sam Allen on piano, John Smith on guitar, Richard Fulbright on bass, and Bill Beeson on drums. So we're going to hear The Blue Rhythm Fantasy, Passionette, The Love Bug Will Bite You If You Don't Watch Out, The Harlem Twister, and Marie. Thank you. 
The love bug will bite you if you don't watch out. If he ever bites you, then you sing and shout. The love bug will bite you if you don't watch out. If he ever bites you, then you sing and shout. I've got you under my skin again. That's what love is all about. You can't sleep, you can't eat, you go crazy. You la-dee-da-dee-do all day. If someone wants to know why you're crazy, you'll answer, what'll I do? What's he da-da? The love bug will bite you if you don't watch out. If he ever bites you, then you sing and shout. You go da-da-da-da-da.
Teddy Hill and his NBC Orchestra on those last couple of tunes. So we started out with um, the uh, May 4th, 1936 date. All these are done in New York City, by the way. That one was for Vocalion Records. And uh, it began with uh, Blue Rhythm Fantasy and Passionette. And those featured um, the soloists all around, uh, very consistent personnel here. Uh, we have Cecil Scott playing all the tenor sax solos. Uh, we had, I believe, Howard Johnson playing all the alto sax solos. For Blue Rhythm Fantasy and Passionette, I think it was Frank Newton, Frankie Newton playing the trumpet solos. And we also heard some very, very good uh, trombone by Dickie Wells, of course, and some even better, maybe, piano solos by Sam Allen, especially on Passionette, which was a, uh, a Willie the Lion Smith composition. Sam Allen had been uh, associated with a lot of different Harlem bands and had uh, recorded quite frequently. He recorded with Dave Nelson and with Alex Jackson in the early 1930s. Uh, and then he had, uh, as I said, gone on to play with uh, Teddy Hill's band. He recorded with the Dickie Wells group out of the Teddy Hill band when they were in Paris in July of 1937. And then later on, he went with uh, Dizzy Gillespie for a little while, and uh, he became the pianist for Slim and Slam, Slim Gayard and Slam Stewart. They had a, a particularly interesting kind of jivey jazz group in the 1940s. So then we went to Teddy Hill and his NBC Orchestra, and these were recorded for RCA Victor, actually for the Bluebird label, the cheaper uh, affiliate of RCA Victor, and they were uh, recorded on March 26th of 1937, the ones that we just heard. The Love Bug Will Bite You, if you don't watch out, featuring that little vocal trio. Also, we heard piano on that, of course. We heard um, some clarinet, which I believe was by Cecil Scott. He had a, a distinctive clarinet style as well as a distinctive tenor uh, style and uh, kind of interesting uh, sounds there as well. We also heard uh, some trumpet on there, which I think may have been by Shad Collins. He seemed to have a much harder, sharper articulation than Frankie Newton did, and I think uh, the couple of tunes that we hear uh, coming up were by were trumpet solos by Shad Collins, including the next one, the Harlem Twister, which featured some Russell Prokop clarinet and uh, a nifty little trumpet trio, uh, which was scored out. We don't know who wrote that song. There was no credit on the album, and I haven't read anything of who, who it might have been. Also heard some good Cecil Scott tenor on that, too. And then on Marie, we heard, suitably, since it was a Tommy Dorsey cover, we heard some outstanding trombone by Dickie Wells, as well as some Shad Collins and some Cecil Scott, again. So you can tell these bands are uh, uh, very uh, consistent in their presentation. We also, by the way, heard some nice drumming on the Harlem Twister, and that was by Bill Beeson. Bill Beeson was not a terribly well-known drummer, but he had the unenviable but ultimately very successful task of being the understudy for Chick Webb in his own orchestra. I did a uh, Chick Webb uh, radio show a while back, or maybe it was a podcast, and um, half of it was the Chick Webb Band, and the other half was the Ella Fitzgerald Orchestra, which was essentially the same band after Chick passed away and was replaced by Bill Beeson, and he was a, a, a very able uh, understudy to, to Webb, and uh, we can hear here that he was a very solid rhythmic player. This band, the Teddy Hill Band, was uh, kind of an interesting combination of hot jazz and sweet playing. They were obviously a commercial band. As far as I know, they stayed primarily in New York, except for that tour to Europe in July of 1937. So they must have uh, been quite popular with the dancers. Um, we heard... Uh, on, for example, Blue Rhythm Fantasy, a, a nod towards a quieter style of big band playing uh, than a group like, for example, Cab Calloway or Chick Webb or even Ellington or Basie were doing at that time. Um, the uh, 
African-American band that was sort of uh, known for that quieter style of dance band music was Claude Hopkins and his band. And there's a certain similarity, I think, uh, to what Teddy Hill was doing. This was a little bit later. Claude Hopkins' best years were in the early to about 1935 or so. And uh, some of those uh, arrangements that he did were handed off to other bands. We don't know if any of them ended up in the Teddy Hill Library or not. So we have one more set of Teddy Hill and his NBC Orchestra. Two dates. Uh, we're going to take two tunes from one and three from another. Two tunes will come from our April 23rd of 1937 date, and then three from the May 7th of 1937 date. Uh, Cecil Scott is no longer part of the band. Uh, he may have been replaced by Kenneth Holland at one point, although uh, for the second date he was definitely replaced by Robert Carroll who was uh, known for his recordings with Don Redman in the earlier part of the 30s. He had a big kind of um, Coleman Hawkins type of sound, and he definitely is on the last session. Um, the first session he may be as well. There are a couple of tenor solos that we'll hear that could very well be him. And for the last session, one other notable uh, substitution, Frankie Newton left the band. He put his own group together. He was playing at the Onyx Club. We did a show on him a while back. Um, Dizzy Gillespie, John Dizzy Gillespie, replaced him. And Dizzy uh, Gillespie was really kind of brand new to the national scene at that point. This is his first really big name band. He had played in Philadelphia with uh, several different groups and uh, had jobbed around in New York uh, doing odds and ends and fill-in work, but he was hired specifically for this band and uh, made his first recorded solo on King Porter's Stop, which is the second to last tune we're going to hear. And that's the tune that usually you think of when you hear the Teddy Hill and his orchestra band name because that song has been, uh, or that side has been reissued many, many times because of the Dizzy Gillespie solo. Gillespie was not actually well-liked in the band for a variety of reasons, and we'll talk about that maybe right at the end of the show. We'll come back and do that. So, what are we listening to first? We're going to hear a, a very prototypical swing tune by a very prototypical swing composer, Larry Clinton, who had his own band, and this is one of his best-known tunes, A Study in Brown, and uh, I believe it's his arrangement, might even be the stock arrangement, but the Hill Band uh, does some interesting things with it and, of course, has some fine solos as well. Then we're going to hear the old jazz standard, even by 1937 standards it was an old jazz standard, called China Boy, and a big band arrangement of that. Those are from the April 37 uh, session, and then in the May 7th, 1937 session, we're going to hear three tunes, Yours and Mine, which features a trumpet solo that I think may very well be Dizzy Gillespie, even though he's not credited with it. He was uh, very much under the sway of Roy Eldridge, and it's suitable that we're ending this program with uh, some... Roy Eldridge type of solos, because that's how we began it, with some actual Roy Eldridge solos. And uh, it's definitely uh, Gillespie playing on King Porter's Stomp, which is the next tune, but yours and mine has some uh, phrasing that sounds very Eldridge-like to me, and I think it would have had to have been Gillespie, because Shad Collins didn't really play like that, and Bill Diller didn't solo too much at all. Then we're going to end up, after King Porter's Stomp, with the Blue Rhythm Fantasy, which is a Teddy Hill and Chappie Willett number. Uh, we already heard a version of that earlier with a a slightly different band, so this bears some comparison. So those are our five tunes, A Study in Brown and China Boy, Yours and Mine, King Porter Stomp, and The Blue Rhythm Fantasy.
Summertime belongs to us all. The moon above is yours and mine. The right to fall in love is yours and mine. The hope of finding the dreams our hearts desire. All this is yours and mine.
the Teddy Hill Orchestra, Teddy Hill and his NBC Orchestra in this case. We started out with two tunes from the April 23rd, 1937 session for Bluebird. We heard Study in Brown and China Boy. Study in Brown featured a tenor sax that may have been Bob Carroll. Uh, also, probably um, Frankie Newton on that one, as near as I can tell anyway. Uh, we also heard some Dickie Wells and some excellent Dickie Wells on the next tune, China Boy, which uh, was kind of a loose arrangement featuring more solos than anything else. We heard a little bit of Cecil Scott's valedictory on uh, to Teddy Hill playing a baritone sax bridge uh, to uh, Dickie Wells' solo chorus, but that was mainly a feature for the pianist, Sam Allen, who, as I said, was really a, a, an interesting pianist from that period, but he spent most of the 30s, or the second half of the 30s, with the Teddy Hill Band, which was certainly not a well-known group, so he's flown under the radar a bit. Then we went to the final session that the band recorded in May, May 7th of 1937, shortly before they left for their European trip. We heard Yours and Mine, uh, a Freed and Brown tune, which featured a vocal, I believe, by uh, Bill Dillard, and a trumpet solo that I think could possibly be Dizzy Gillespie on that, although I'm not sure he's ever been credited with it, but it sounds a bit like him. We then heard King Porter Stomp, the Jelly Roll Morton tune that uh, every big band had in its book. Of course, Benny Goodman had the big classic recording of it. Fletcher Henderson had done two or three recordings by the late 30s. Uh, Glenn Miller's first recording with his... Um, official classic big band for Bluebird was King Porter Stomp, and this is another version, similar but different from most of the other versions. Clearly it was a specialty for the band, and it did indeed feature Dizzy Gillespie playing a trumpet solo, along with Bob Carroll on tenor, Dickie Wells on trombone, I believe it was Howard uh, Johnson on alto on that one as well. And then we finished up with the Blue Rhythm Fantasy. Russell Prokop was on clarinet, Howard Johnson on alto, Bob Carroll on tenor, and I believe in this case it was Shad Collins on trumpet. So different uh, different members being featured here. So we have a very interesting band. We had a uh, sort of a B-level Harlem band, I guess you'd have to say. Some might even say a C-level, but B, uh, definitely. It was a musical group. Uh, they played in tune. They played very precisely, uh, except for Dickie Wells. Uh, they didn't have any consistent soloists. They had a few very good ones at the beginning, of course, um, and then Dizzy Gillespie showing signs of what was going to come. And you had some other interesting people as well. Bob Carroll was a, was, a, was a tenor player who had played with Don Redmond's band and later may have played with Louis Armstrong's band as well. Uh, but he didn't get too much chance before uh, the end of the line for this band, so uh, he didn't get to be featured on those records too much. But all in all, it's a good recorded legacy of uh, a variety of different tunes, jazz tunes, pop tunes, novelties, all kinds of things. We played about, oh, I don't know, half. There were 26 released tunes by this band and one or two that didn't get released and we just played I don't know about 14 of them So a little more than half of their recorded output. So we hope you've enjoyed Teddy Hill and his orchestra This is John Clark. You've been listening to the Jazz Focus. Hopefully you're enjoying these programs If you'd like to sponsor us hit that little button on your menu to sponsor us for monthly or however you would like to do it Love to have your sponsorship and your input feel free to email me uh, Get on my social media presence uh, Wolverine Jazz Band, WolverineJazzBand.com, and also the same name on Instagram and Facebook. So hopefully we'll see you again soon and uh, listen to some more jazz together. And so until then, I'll see you on the other side. <laughs>